1: Middle of the week, hump day, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. We're glad to have you along for the ride wherever you're listening, whatever mechanism you're using to listen, whether you're listening on the Super Talk Live app, you're listening online at supertalk.fm. Maybe you're watching on Roku or the live stream, or you're just listening on a good old radio station. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. C text line, as always, is open to you, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan, one or two lines, $45
3: each, with auto pay and paperless billing, no bull, cspire.com. What's up, boys? I had one of those uh, moments that you guys have probably had at some point, but with Tuesday night football, yeah, uh, I've got a very supportive. Are good, yeah. Oh my gosh, they might just be for real. I mean, they're good at every level, and Tannehill is. His numbers are. I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes because he is absolutely not, but the numbers are basically identical so far this season. Um, he's playing really well, but. I've got a very supportive wife. She is not the biggest sports fan in the world, but she supports what I do and is fine with it being, you know, what dominates most of my nights. Last night, though, I put the game on, and she goes, wait, isn't it Tuesday? I said, yeah, they had a game move because of COVID, so I've got Tuesday night football, and she just kind of looks at me and looks down and goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. Oh. Oh. What was the Bachelor on, or something? Uh, she's not a big Bachelor fan. Lucky for me. But um, there's some new show on Netflix, The Haunting at Bly Manor, or something that she wanted to watch, but uh, it was it was Titans Bills instead. Did you watch a little Tuesday night football? He did
0: I did I did I watched most of the uh, the Titans game. I was, I wasn't watching it, and then I saw the uh, the highlight of the Derrick Henry stiff form, and I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm Ooh. gonna tune in. I want to see if that happens again. See a man's soul get taken out of his body like that on live television.
1: Yeah, I, I saw somebody say Earl Campbell would have been proud.
0: Oh, yeah. now that was Earl Campbell, Herschel Walker, and Bo Jackson all rolled into one on that one. Goodness. But maybe more impressive. Maybe.
1: Titans got the win last night, and they did so in convincing fashion and really never checked up, even as uh, the game was... I don't know. I mean, I guess it was kind of out of hand late, and yet the Titans kept pouring it on. Final score last night. Titans hang 40. Uh, In fact, it's 42 16. Up 21 10 at the half. They outscore Buffalo 21 6 in the second half of the game. And one of the common themes, as you saw as people were reacting to the game, was wow, the Titans don't look like the team on the field that hasn't played a game in 16 days because of COVID-related issues.
3: Well, they got all those extra practices in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Josh Allen went 26-41, of 41, had a couple of touchdowns. He was picked off twice. Ryan Tannehill completed 75% of his passes, 21-28, 195, three touchdowns in the game. Uh, Derrick Henry, highlight reel, couple of touchdowns, and people from a fantasy standpoint were worried because it looked like he might get one more touchdown at the end. Uh, 19 carries, 57 yards. He only averaged three yards a carry, but he was big-time effective. A.J. Brown led the way. There was some question as to whether or not he was even going to play in the game. Uh, he did play and played well, seven catches, 82 yards, and a score. He was targeted nine times in the game. Johnnie Smith had five catches, including a couple of touchdowns, and uh, the Titans just rolled, and they stay undefeated. They go to 4-0 on the year. Buffalo falls to uh, to 4-1. Uh, Borky, your point about Tannehill. And Mike Vrabel was quoted today saying, look, Brian Tannehill is not any different than the guy he was when we signed him a couple of years ago. He's just taken a bigger leadership role, and he's a little more front-facing, paraphrasing by the way, uh, than before he was named the starter. Once he became the starter, he kind of became the leader of this team, and there's a lot of trust that Vrabel
3: and his teammates have in him right now. And they should. And so when you look at Tennessee in totality, I don't think the quarterback is what held them back a year ago, although they didn't use him in the playoffs at all. And so everybody pointed to, we talked about it on this show a lot, that, hey, they're winning these playoff games on the back of Derrick Henry, but they got there because of Ryan Tannehill. But the question for the Titans was, can they get the quarterback play required to be a team that was a legitimate contender? And now when you look at this team after a few games and how good they've been, where's the weakness? I mean, maybe it's still a quarterback, but where are they not good across the board? And so you might need to add the Titans into the, the list with you know, Pittsburgh and Kansas City even, these teams that everybody thinks are a Super Bowl contender. I don't I can't think of a reason why you don't put the Titans in that conversation as well.
0: And they played in the AFC championship game a year ago. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. not lose sight of that.
1: And it's people the same team just,
0: basically, plus Clowney. They've just been overlooked, you know. Everybody, is, obviously, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and everybody's looking at them. And you know, you, you see some other, you know, the Ravens are still there, and people are getting get attracted to Lamar Jackson. He's the MVP. And then there's the Titans, just sort of grinding it out and plugging along. And you know, played last night. You know, still some players out. A guy like Jeff Simmons didn't play. So, I mean that, type, that that team is better than even it showed last night. They they are a real force in the AFC. They they have a chance to knock off the Chiefs and get to the Super Bowl.
1: Buffalo leads the AFC East at 4 and 1 despite the loss last night. New England couple of games back. Looks like Cam Newton is going to play this week. He is expected to return to practice tomorrow and uh, looks as if he will start on Sunday. Pittsburgh leading the AFC North at 4 and 0. You got two 4 and 1 teams in the Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. After losing the opener, they have won four straight. Titans undefeated leading the AFC South, couple of games in front of the Colts, and the Chiefs are 4 and 1 suffering their first loss of the season this past weekend. How about leading the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys at 2 and 3. Boy, is that division a dumpster fire?
0: Gracious, yeah, it's awful. And then you know, dak out. So how long will that last? I don't know. That that feels like an eight and eight, or maybe even a seven and nine team getting to host a playoff game <laughs> against a eleven and five, 12 and four wild card team. The Andy Dalton Revenge Tour. Mm. Yeah.
1: Cowboys two and three, Eagles one and three, the Washington Football Team one and four, and the New York Giants zero oh and five. Different story in the NFC North, where the Packers are four and zero, oh, the Bears are four and one. And the NFC South Saints, Bucks, and Panthers all three and two. With the Falcons, not only winless, but with now an interim head coach and an interim GM is Thomas Dimitrov, Dan Quinn. Uh, maybe I did reverse order. Uh, Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov, both relieved of their duties after the weekend. Seattle's five and zero. The Rams are four and one. The Cardinals are three and two, and the Niners are two and three. What is the best division in the NFL? Is it the NFC West? Is it the AFC North? Could it be?
3: It's that. Is it the AFC North? I think so. With the Steelers, Ravens, Browns, and Bengals. Because to me, Browns greater than
1: Cardinals. At least for now. For now. But they've got all the quarterbacks battling it out there.
3: Baker Mayfield gets a lot of flack, and and. It's been earned for the most part, but that's another... Look at Cleveland, and where are they bad? Yeah, they've got a head case at wide receiver, but when he's locked in, he can really play. They shirt up the offensive line this offseason, spent a lot of money on it. Nick Chubb is elite level. Um, Miles Garrett, uh, head basher, is playing at a potentially MVP-type level. The Browns are... From a roster perspective, when you get this many early-round draft picks, eventually you should have enough pretty good players to be a good team, and Stefanski is pulling all the all the strings the right way right now. I don't think they're pretenders. No, I, I tend to agree with you. It just took a couple of years
1: longer than people thought it was going to when you were talking about all of those draft picks. I mean, this was a long-term play for the Browns. It may have taken a year or maybe even two, as I said, longer than they uh, thought that it was going to but my gracious, it is working. They got a lot of pieces and a lot of different spots. C Spire Text line. Jason says, Did Henry practice that stiff arm for two weeks? That dude uh, logged more frequent flyer miles than the two presidential candidates. <laughs> Airborne. Did you see the still shot on Twitter saying somebody said this could have been a great karate match, karate fight? <laughs> He like chopped Instead him with his arm the leg, and the it was hit the face. Yeah. But once the guy was in the air, um, it looked like he was doing like an airborne kick. Yeah. Pro- problem was he had been on the receiving end of the punch prior to that. Also this on uh, the C Spire text line, Giants 0-5. thought Eli was holding them down. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't think that was the issue. With the, uh, with the Giants
3: they might be in the tank for Trevor sweepstakes as well by the way I think they might be prepared to move away from uh, Danny football Perhaps. Danny Dimes? no but can we just no. be honest and say if
1: they don't fix the offensive line it doesn't matter if they've got the reincarnation of Joe Montana
3: poor Trevor Lawrence <laughs> he's lighting defenses up every Saturday he turns the TV on Sunday and watches the two New York teams just stink it up yeah yeah I wonder if that's exciting or disheartening. Who knows? Sports Talk Mississippi.
1: So COVID news in the Magnolia State related to sports. We will get to that when we come back. Good to be with you as we get things rolling on this Wednesday. SEC coaches teleconference earlier today. Lane Kiffin, in his turn to speak with the media, had, uh, had this little nugget to pass along as it pertains to COVID-19. We are having issues with that. Number of guys out. Haven't had it in season. It's difficult, and moving people around. We're beat up, too, from the high play count against a great team. We're not in a great situation numbers-wise, We can play today, we'll see. Following it up with, it uh, only takes one person to really screw it up. So, Ole Miss, for the first time since summer camp, summer practice leading into the season, is dealing with some COVID issues. I don't feel comfortable saying a specific number that I've heard, other than to say the number is not, based on what I've heard, terribly significant. It certainly is a single-digit number and could be a single-digit number that you can count on just one hand. I would say that you do have concern with regard to close contact contact tracing, that may be even the bigger concern. Now, if if you're Florida, where you've got 21 guys out and two assistant coaches who've tested positive, man, you've got all kinds of concerns. And for that reason, earlier today, Florida LSU was postponed, tentatively rescheduled for December 12th. What a game that could be. Potentially, if at some point LSU finds a pulse, on that makeup day after the regular season was scheduled to end, but
3: we'll see. That's a long way down the road. And Miles and Brennan was potentially going to be out for the game Saturday. Yeah. So LSU caught of a COVID break there because of an injury. Yeah.
1: Right. Um. As Florida, I understand it, be,
0: for Florida, that could be they have to win that game to go to the SEC championship game the next week. We just don't know. That's yet.
1: possible. That is altogether possible. But as I understand it. There's not a ton of concern right now among Ole Miss folks about whether or not they're going to be able to play the game or not play the game on Saturday. And they'll get tested
3: again Friday, is that right?
1: So today's results, I guess, would I I don't know what days testing reveal the results. What are it's Sunday, Tuesday, Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, is that right?
3: Something like that. There's another round of testing, at least we can say that, before they would take the field on Saturday. If you rewind to Saturday night, and I don't know if they
1: made a deal of this on the television broadcast or not, next round of testing will be tomorrow, and the results will come back on Friday.
3: Okay. all right.
1: So, clear on that. So it's Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. We will know
3: Friday is the, the big point here, whether or not yeah, they're playing Yeah, absolutely. A-
1: absolutely. I don't know if anybody made an issue of this, again, on the television broadcast, but Ole Miss did not come out for pregame warm-ups. You had the inclement weather, there was some concern about field conditions, which turned out to be not an issue at all. I mentioned this on Monday when we were talking about winners and losers. The grounds crew did an unbelievable job. The field was immaculate. Um, but Ole Miss chose to go through their entire pregame warm-ups inside the Manning Center. They use the indoor practice facility. I don't know that Nick Saban necessarily had a huge issue with it. My guess is he probably thought, well, that's Lane Kiffin being Lane Kiffin. But I do know that there was some discussion among the administrators from Alabama I say discussion. They were voicing their displeasure to anybody that would listen, including the league office. Aww. But the reality is there's no role there's no rule against it. Oh, Alabama crying to the so league there office? A, no. There was a little bit of gamesmanship before the game even started. Between Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. So that was kind of funny.
3: Man, um, complaining about where a team is doing pregame warm-ups <laughs> and then claiming they stole signs after the game. What has happened to Nick Saban's Alabama? Yeah, that's a good question. In a
0: game they won. Won
3: by two scores! Yeah. <sighs> I know we're all
1: crying crocodile tears for Alabama. It's just so sad. Everybody everywhere is. When um, can they catch a break? <sighs> Well played. Scrappy underdogs. Could it possibly be that there's a little more gamesmanship
3: going on for the head coach of the Rebels? Possibly? Well, it, see, whoever their uh, their social media person is blew it. Because on Instagram today, you know that Matt Corral, Elijah Moore, Snoop Conner, and Jerry Neely all practiced today. If you're going to do some gamesmanship, <laughs> don't post that on Instagram. But yeah. that is good news, by the way. Is that your quarterback, your two running backs, and your best wide receiver all did practice today?
1: Yes, yes. I would, uh, I would say that that is good news. I saw one of the players, I'll not identify which, while I was at lunch today. Everything appeared to be healthy. I didn't, you know, do any COVID testing. Did you come the, into uh, close contact with them? No, I didn't. Good. Didn't even go go by and say hello. I, you yes, know, I had not been. I had not been tested this morning, so I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, doing that oh no the the whole thing is just interesting but i mean it, uh, on a slightly more serious note if you were a head coach and had the opportunity to cast some doubt on your availability that might perhaps put your opponent and their preparation in just a small amount of limbo why wouldn't you do it You can be honest and deceptive at the exact same time. Sorry,
0: hey, Ed, go ahead. Well, you should be required to do it. Take every advantage, especially if you the underdog. My guess is it was something like this, that they said, hey, coach, I think we should do this, and Lane Kiffin said, yeah, that's probably a good idea, plus it'll make Saban angry. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Tim and McGee. Just a happy side effect.
1: This is so incredibly topical. Tim says, you're not going to unmask the player, Richard. Nice. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) Well, play Josh in the Delta. So if Bama is crying now, what will they do if Georgia beats them? Uh, here's one. I'm sick of Ole Miss people complaining about refs in the Bama game. Roll freaking tide.
0: I didn't. I fa- didn't hear any. Was there complaining? Yeah, a little
3: bit, but fans are gonna do what fans are gonna do. Man, Lane Kiffin didn't. Nick Saban did, did it, though. Did you see any of
1: the complaining from Alabama people on the twitters.com during the game? Never going to get we've a gone call. Through the
0: past few years, I think it, you, just, you just walk into the game with Alabama expecting to complain about the officials.
3: See, that's sports fans in a nutshell, right there. Because ask an Alabama any Alabama fan you met, including this guy right here. The SEC is out to get Alabama, according to them. Announcers are all out to get Alabama, according to them. The NCAA somehow is out to get Alabama. Everybody-
0: and Gary
1: Danielson, by the way, is the one leading the charge in terms of announcers out to get but Alabama. That's actually oh, yeah. true.
0: That's that's actually true. Yeah. No, 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 Never mind. It's backwards. He's not out yeah. to get them. Oh.
3: He's in he's in bed with them. Gary hates Alabama. Oh, he hates him. Greg Sankey man, he's
0: out to get It's, it's just like the listeners to this show. It depends on who you ask. We're either a bulldog propaganda piece or a, an Ole Miss mouthpiece. It just, it just depends on what
3: day it is and who's listening. Those, those two days of text cracked me up. Two days ago we get a text, you're only propping up Mississippi State and out to get Ole Miss. The next day, you're only propping up Ole Miss and out to get Mississippi State.
1: Our, uh, our RTR texter on the uh, on the ceasefire text line says, Saban could have cared less whether Ole Miss came out or not. I don't believe it you. For a you second. may be right. No, no, you you may be right. But I'm curious how it is that you make such a definitive statement that Nick Saban could have cared less as to whether this came out or not. I'm like, have you talked to him? Like, did it's you guys Nick. talk? He's like, I don't care whether they come out or not.
0: It's Nick. He's got a 601 area code for some reason. Did he? Um,
1: did 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 he say in one of the multiple media opportunities since uh, since the game? That he was that, that he cared less about whether or not Ole Miss came out or not, because I happen to know for a fact that the Alabama administration was quite concerned, quite concerned, about the fact that Ole Miss didn't come out for pregame warm ups. So I have to assume that you have a close relationship with Nick Saban and you have talked to him like one-on-one and he has told you that he could not have cared less that Ole Miss came out there, Mr. RTR Tweeter?
4: Hmm.
3: In the game, they won. Hey, this is the best part about all of this. Yeah. They, they won the game. Racked up a billion yards offensively. Gave up half a billion, but still. And and by the way,
1: I'll be the English teacher here just for a second. Saban could have cared less whether Ole Miss came out or not. It's actually could not have cared less. I think that's what you were trying to say. A little bit later today on the Farm Bureau phone line, we will have our semi-regular chat with uh, Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. He is co-host of the Jocks Roundtable. Always enjoy visiting with Ryan, kind of getting his perspective on things that are happening in college football around the SEC. So that's coming up to begin the 4 o'clock hour. And then Andrew Hutchison will join us uh, a little bit later this afternoon as well. He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks, Ole Miss and Arkansas. We'll meet each other um on Saturday in Fayetteville, uh, the television network has been changed. The game time is not. Still will kick off at 2.30, but instead of being on ESPN2, it will now be on SEC Network, and Mississippi State's game against Texas A&M has been moved to ESPN. So uh, where what was it originally? Was it SEC Network originally and got moved to ESPN? Is that right? Yes,
0: correct. Yeah, okay.
3: So
1: Is that a no commentary move?
0: Teams. what do you mean? Which the, one of us?
3: The uh the move to the SEC network away from ESPN two. Is that a it's possible that this game might have to get postponed, so therefore we'll put it on the lesser of two networks for now, just in case? I don't know. The timing of it just seems No, I it, no, here here's what it was.
1: So ESPN is where LSU Florida was going to be carried. That game has been postponed, and so they had to fill the ESPN slot. And so to do that, they chose between the other two games that were happening at 2.30, which are, well, I guess 3 o'clock was the kickoff time for uh, Texas a and Mississippi State, or they could have gone with Old Miss Arkansas at 2.30. They chose to put Texas A&M-Mississippi State on ESPN, and contractually, the SEC Network gets three games in a day. And so when they moved the game that was on SEC Network to ESPN, they contractually had to replace that game with another game on SEC Network, they are not contractually obligated to a game in the 2.30 window or the 3 o'clock window on uh, on ESPN2. So that's why they made it move. Makes perfect sense. The more you know. That almost sounded like an intelligent answer, didn't it? Yeah, almost. When you first asked the question, I thought, and then I was like, okay, hold on, I, I actually do know the answer to this. So uh, that's what you ended up with.
3: Big chance for Mississippi State on the national stage in college football. Yeah, and in
1: what is normally the national time slot. Yeah. Just on a different network this week because um, CBS game goes to primetime with Georgia and Alabama. Right. So uh, so there you go. Hey, we got this, uh, this text a minute ago. Guys checking in from the Texas A&M Maritime Academy. Ready to hear some predictions about the Aggies and the Bulldogs this weekend. Well, we'll make our actual predictions on Friday, as we do every week. But, hey, Dad, what are your thoughts on this game?
0: My biggest, my biggest thought is: Is Texas A&M going to, you know, keep their momentum? You know, you you win a big game like that, especially the way they won it, you're sometimes due for a letdown. I thought State had a letdown after the LSU game, um, but that said, with State's offense, the way they've played the past couple weeks, I really need to see them in action. Playing correctly, not turning the ball over, blocking, executing properly, before I could feel really confident about picking an MSU win. Okay. But defensively, I think State will be okay. You know, I think I think they can limit Mond and Spiller. Um, and if I tell
1: you, if I tell you right now that Mississippi State has only two turnovers,
0: is one of them a pick six?
1: Yeah, one's an interception, one's a fumble. Okay. I don't know if, yeah, I mean,
0: let If you're no. telling me that only two turnovers and they didn't, not one didn't lead to seven points for the the other team, I would think State has a really good chance to win. Okay.
1: What have you seen in the last two weeks that makes you believe that
0: beyond the turnovers? Be- because they're de- they're good defensively. The defense will keep them in the game. And so if they don't turn the ball over and they can turn some of those possessions into points, then they'll have a chance to win. We talked a lot yesterday about the momentum tied
1: to the Ole Miss offense. And you kind of made the observation that odds are there's going to be a game somewhere where things don't go quite as well offensively. And I think that's a reasonable observation. Do you feel the same way about Mississippi State's
0: defense? Well I mean obviously, on Halloween, I do when they play Alabama, I don't know that they'll be able to slow them down, but uh, as far as other teams go, yeah, probably so. There's gonna be a couple of games where they just make some mistakes and 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 they they, they aren't as good as they've been in these first three games. Sure, absolutely, you yeah. know I, 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 and I think it's because maybe it's just a a star power thing. you know, the 2018 defense, there were so many guys on that defense that you knew were NFL guys. Here's like they're almost it was almost like a too big to fail kind of thing. This defense, I mean, there's so many new players and and young faces that you know there's not a Simmons, there's not a Montez Sweat on on this defense, there's not a Jonathan Abram either. And so for me, I, I worry that eventually I'm going to find out that it was just sort of flukish. I don't know. But That said, you know, I don't have any reason to think that because they've been really good the first three weeks. In terms of health. Mississippi State pretty good through three
1: games, or are there yeah. some issues?
0: Especially defensively, they haven't had it hardly they haven't been any really big issues as far as I've known. Noticed Nobody, nobody's been uh, been out for an extended period of time uh, as of yet. You know, Greg Island missed the uh, the Arkansas game, but he was back in uh, against Kentucky. Um, you know, Kylan Hill obviously got knocked out early of the Arkansas game, but he came back and played. Uh, yeah. We'll see what he does this weekend. So. We'll see,
1: but so, so Miss, far so good. La- yeah, Ole Miss last week was with, without Jacquez Jones, who was in concussion protocol. I thought it was interesting in Lane Kiffin's comments about COVID. He decided to throw in injuries uh, as well, saying they were pretty banged up after a physical team against a uh, physical game against a really good team. I didn't feel like that was the case on Saturday night normally when you think about playing Alabama, you think, man, if you can just get out of this game without being too banged up, then that's almost a win in itself, never mind what the scoreboard says. Injuries have not been a big issue for Ole Miss so far this season. I think Jalen Cunningham got banged up on an extra point play in the game, and there was another backup lineman. Later in the game, who was a little slow coming off the field? The the one that made you hold your breath if you were an Ole Miss fan was when Matt Corral was really slow getting up on that very last drive of the game after he got sacked. He got to the sideline, kind of jumped up in the air, hopped around, and went back in the next play. I think that was a little bit of a sigh of relief for Ole Miss.
3: There's that a joke question. to be made about um, you can't sustain injuries on defense if you don't come into contact with anybody. <laughs>
0: Hey, I have, a, I have a question about Ole Miss and the quarterbacks. If okay. you know, we, we were talking about Schrader, and you know, if Costello got hurt, what would happen? Schrader is probably like the absolute emergency quarterback. He's probably fourth behind Rodgers and even Jalen Maiden. If Corral goes down, is it Plumlee or do they go to Tisdale or somebody else? That's a good question,
1: uh, and I think it depends on. Does he go down where he's out for a couple of plays or a series? Because in that scenario, the answer is John Rice Plumley. Right. I mean, when Matt Corral got hurt the other night, I say hurt. When he came out of the game for a play at the end, John Rice Plumley immediately came in through one pass, completed it, went back to the sideline, and Corral came back in. So I would say that certainly the short term answer would be John Rice Plumley because he's the guy that's getting the majority of the second team reps. If there was an extended period without Matt Corral, then I think the answer to that question could be different. I think Plumlee would get a shot, but I, I tend to think that Ken Kincaid Dent is the guy that they would look at really pretty okay. extensively in that scenario. It, it, I mean, it's I just think it's about the ability to consistently throw the football. I mean, Matt Corral has made great plays with his feet, but the reason that Ole Miss has been so good offensively is because he has been darn close to perfect throwing the ball through three games. Uh, We get a message, C Spire text line, do you guys think that Plumlee will stay at Ole Miss or do you think that he will transfer? I have absolutely no idea. And I say I have no idea because I don't know what's going on in John Rice Plumlee's head. Is he holding on to the dream of playing quarterback in college football? he is, then I would think it would be reasonable to think that he might potentially move on if he's open to a position change or is content to be the backup quarterback then he probably stays put and what role does baseball play in this you know does he see himself growing into a significant role with baseball to the point where he makes a transition full-time to baseball at some point i don't really think that's going to be the case does he think that he grows into an everyday starter for baseball at Ole Miss and likes playing for this program. I think it's a complicated answer. And I don't think you can know the answer to that question without really knowing what John Rice Plumley and those who are really close to him are thinking. And I don't know the answer to that. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Why do you think elected officials are so bad at asking questions?
3: Because they don't want to actually ask a question.
0: Why do you think elected officials are so bad? In the sentence right there. Well, that's unfair.
1: Because not all elected officials are bad. And not everybody's in it for the uh, the wrong reasons. Continue with your statement, Richard. What? uh, About... No, I was just asking a question. Where are you going?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, just as I'm watching this confirmation hearing unfold over the course of multiple days. I mean, the, the level of grandstanding and it's not one party or the other. Oh, it's yeah, it's both. It's everybody. Because are, no- are you actually there to find out about the views and the, um, and the capabilities of the nominee for the Supreme court? Are you just there to uh, get some TV time? It Correct. is very much that. Their decision on... Uh, oh, it's made on partisan lines before the thing ever begins. Before we even knew who any this new woman was.
3: Exactly. It's all a charade. It, it's a joke, honestly. And, Instead and of, look, it, it,
1: Borky, it just so happens right now that there's a Republican majority in the Senate. And, so, yep. and a Republican president who's made these nominees. And so for, I guess, the last three times that we've gone through this process, it's been Republicans who were throwing softballs and praising the candidate and Democrats who were grandstanding and trying to tear down the candidate. Yep.
3: And labeling her things, if, of which she is not. It's a joke. It,
1: if it flips, if Joe Biden wins the presidency and the Senate majority flips to the other side and Joe Biden has the opportunity to nominate a Supreme Court candidate, it will be the exact same thing in the opposite direction. It'll be Republican elected officials publicly trying to tear down a Democrat nominee and Democrat elected officials throwing softballs and telling them how great they are. Yep.
3: What a broken system. Nobody... (laughs) I say nobody. There are are, Our leaders, and put that in quotes, have no interest in actually leading or being productive. They only have interest in continuing to get elected and continuing to get rich off of their elections. That is their ultimate goal. That's all they care about doing, and that's all they'll continue to do while we all suffer in the process. Hmm. Yep. Which is why I'm running for—no, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah. Working for something. I did. Some guy came up to me. I gave a speech ah, uh, on
1: stick, Friday. Let's take
0: the sports. We got one.
3: Ah, whatever. Get over yourself. Um, I gave a
1: speech. did not make a political comment whatsoever. It was just a general observation
3: about the process. No, I kind of did. But again, whatever. Oh, it's kind well, of a significant fair. thing happening right now in society. But um, I did give a speech uh, at my buddy's wedding on Friday at the rehearsal dinner. And a guy walked up to me and said, man, I thought you were going to say your last name in 2024 and announce you were running for president after that speech was over. (laughs) Yeah,
1: maybe I will. I actually agree with this. I, I really actually kind of agree with this. Only term limits will help. Without a doubt. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, guys, sports talk. Remember, I listen to the show for sports, not your views on politics. Stick with sports, please. Yeah, we, we we we're talking about sports. Three hours a day, five days a week. But forgive me for having other things that strike a chord of interest in my life and discussing them in this medium.
0: Borky and I have podcasts. We get another, you know, four or five hours of sports in there. Yeah, and two hours on Sunday too. Man, I'm all over. That's right, man. Yeah, and you Richard are. is, you know, covering those games. So yeah.
1: I'm not high enough up the ladder of the totem pole to have a
3: podcast, so uh, you guys yeah.
1: keep fighting Somebody the good fight, my
0: friends. Any more of you? Anyway, you well, so. you could if you weren't
3: born in 1962. You know technology by now.
1: 1962,
3: The year uh, after my dad was born. But I um, hey mean, hey, we're
1: getting close. We're, um, we're we are now less than a month to uh, RC hitting the big four zero.
0: We should have a roast on that day. Yeah, you
3: ready to okay. talk about time flying? Little guy turns one on Sunday. How about that? Holy you know what, am I right? Yeah.
1: Goes fast, man. Absolutely goes fast. Hey, there were a couple of comments on the Ceasefire text line about the uh the conversation about John Rice Plumley and what he might or might not do going forward. And again, I don't know the answer to that. Only time will tell. We got somebody that says uh he would fit at Arkansas, TCU, or Florida. Those are interesting choices. Felipe Plumlee Frank's with threw. With Mullen four. would be interesting. Say again.
0: Plumley with Mullen would be interesting. He's built up le- le- less talented quarterbacks than John Rice Plumley, I'll say that. That's true. Does he fit what they're doing at Arkansas right now? I don't really know what they're doing yet. Well, with Frank's. So. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell yes, you what. You do.
1: It's, Arc... it's Kendall Brown's offense. It's a it's a close cousin to what Ole Miss is doing offensively. They look very then similar. No.
3: Then no. Yeah. Frank's quietly had an excellent game last Saturday. By the way, he did. Did he throw for three twenty and four touchdowns?
1: Okay, played well. Four touchdowns. That's right. It was not four hundred yards. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Nothing but sports, I promise, with Ryan Brown from Jocks when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line.
2: Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have our good friend Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out Favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ryan, we've never done this before. I'm wondering if you would be okay if, for this conversation today... Instead of me asking you short, relatively concise questions and getting your thoughts, if I could make long, rambling statements and then pause for you to respond, and then cut you off when I get tired of you talking, is that okay?
2: Do we only have thirty minutes per uh, questioner? Perhaps.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. We'll just call it a Senate confirmation hearing instead of an interview on the radio. I
2: don't, okay. Yes, <laughs> I'm familiar with those. Uh, I'm up for anything. You've got you've got thirty minutes, sir. Go ahead.
1: What uh, what's up, my friend? Always good to visit with you. Uh, we had a fun weekend, uh, uh, I think, in college football, and certainly we've spent a lot of time talking about Ole Miss and Alabama. Uh, what was your reaction to that game when, when you went to bed on Saturday night? And then maybe as you kind of got through the day on Sunday and thought a little bit more about it?
2: Yeah, I was I was very blown away, uh, blown away at, at how good Ole Miss's offense looked against Alabama's defense. Um, puzzled. As to is that more of a commentary on Ole Miss's defense, or excuse me, Alabama's defense and Ole Miss's offense, or both? (laughs) Um, I mean, it it was. I mean, I I was blown away. I had no earthly idea. You know, I thought, I thought Ole Miss would score twenty four. I thought something richer, like fifty two to twenty four, something like that. Never did I dream Alabama would need nine touchdowns out of eleven possessions to win that game comfortably. And, and uh, by comfortable, I mean, you know, the margin they ended up winning was, what, 15. I mean, if they only score eight touchdowns, that's a game for the final horn. I mean, it's, that was crazy. I had no idea that's how
1: that would go. We visited with your colleague uh, at Jock's, Cole Kublik, yesterday, and we all know that he's a film nerd. And he said when he went back and watched the film, the the thing that surprised him the most was the success that Ole Miss's offensive line consistently had against Alabama's guys. And and he said he's, his takeaway when it was all said and done was just, Ole Miss' offensive line is pretty darn good. Have you thought about it in those terms? And maybe the, maybe the question I'm really trying to ask is, what's your level of concern for Alabama defensively going forward versus, oh, wow, that was just a really good Ole Miss offense?
2: Well, and that's why I came away thinking there's a little bit of both. Listen, there, this is not a reflection on, uh, oh, my gosh, oh, you know, Ole Miss moved the ball in Alabama. Alabama had shown signs of this coming into this game, obviously it was a concern last year, but a lot of people thought those concerns had been fixed. And it goes deeper than just the on the field. Alabama fans came into the year lukewarm on defensive coordinator Pete Golding, and the numbers make you a little lukewarm. Um, You know, his, his numbers are the worst of the Saban era. You can't get past that. Now, offenses are better now than any time in the Saban era, so you do forgive some of that. But, I mean, the numbers are what they are and they, they don't really lie in this situation. And then you have the first half of the Missouri game. Defense looked totally different, much more of an edge. But then Missouri moved it pretty well in the second half when they went to the backup quarterback, who's now the starter for them. The A&M game, They had 300 pass yards and moved it okay, outrushed Alabama. And there were concerns about that. And then Ole Miss just blew the lid off. So I think it just confirmed what Alabama fans had feared about their defense. But on the old miss side, you know what what jumped out at me more than the offensive line, and that's that's Cole's specialty. I'll leave that to him. That's but right. I watch that offense and I see athletes, man. I see first of all, Matt Corral is a different quarterback. I mean, I, I talked to some old Miss fans over here that say maybe he didn't quite have the buy in under Matt Luke that he needed, but he's bought into Lane Kiffin and it's showing. I mean, Lane Kiffin can make this kid an NFL quarterback, maybe. I mean he he looks tremendous. Elijah Moore, I already respected him. We did a exercise a couple of weeks ago where we ranked the top five receivers in the Southeastern Conference. I had Elijah Moore in my top five, and I, I firmly believe that. And then your boys, who are the other yet, four? Man.
1: Out of curiosity.
2: Um, well, I had both uh, Waddle and um, Devontae, Devontae Smith. Uh, the Devontae Smith. Well, I don't know why I can't say his name. Waddle and Devontae Smith. Now, this was coming off the Kentucky game. I had Seth Williams in there. Uh, I had Elijah Moore, and then. Uh, Kyle Pitts. We allowed Kyle Pitts to be a receiver, not just a tight end, because it's really what he is. Yeah. Now, uh, Seth Williams has had two really average games since then. Um, I-, I still think he's got that ability, but Albert's passing game just isn't very good, honestly. The one I left out was George Pickens, and since then, he's had two worse games than Seth Williams. So, I feel very comfortable having Elijah Moore in that in that discussion. I think that's the type of receiver he is. So that's what jumped out at me is that they are athletes, Ely. I mean, they are athletes on that offense. He, Lane Kippen's got some players on that offense.
1: This would be more about Alabama than Ole Miss, but it's kind of an offshoot from that. I feel like because of what Ole Miss did against Alabama's defense, that has like been the storyline that's dominated. And the fact that, as yep. you pointed out a second ago, Alabama scored on 9 of 11 possessions. It very easily could have been 10 of 11 possessions had Najee Harris not fumbled for the first time in his entire career at the one-yard line on the way into the end zone on a play that, frankly, could have been blown dead, and it wasn't. Sure, sure. They're playing Georgia, who I think is the best defense in the SEC. I'm not convinced anybody can stop this Alabama defense. I am curious how much Georgia can slow them down.
2: Well, Georgia looks good, obviously, but, you know, I also look at who has Georgia played. You know, they played Arkansas uh, in the first game with Felipe Franks in the Sam Pittman era. Um, Not exactly an offensive juggernaut, though. They played well at Auburn this past weekend. They played Auburn, whose offense, you know, was stuck in mud. How much did Georgia have to do with that? You know, you look at the Kentucky game and the Arkansas game, Auburn had some of the same struggles against them, just to a lesser degree. And, And then they played Tennessee, who had played well. But I don't think Tennessee's an offensive juggernaut. Look, it's by far and away the best defense Alabama has faced, but it's also by far and away the best offense Georgia has faced. That's why I think it's such a fascinating battle. And, you know, the discussion we've had is, as an Alabama fan, how many points are you comfortable with Saturday? If I gave you a point total, you know, a minimum point total, and how low do I have to go for you to feel like you've got a, a win? And most Alabama what do you think fans, that number is? we've got the – I You know, I thought it was somewhere around 28. Uh, Alabama fans told me I was too low on that, that they feel more comfortable at 31 with their defense. I'm telling you, man, Alabama fans came out of that Ole Miss game really, really concerned about their defense. So they, I think most Bama fans feel like it's got to be north of 28 before they're comfortable with the point total.
1: I'm not sure how you felt about the quarterbacks in the SEC coming into this season, but it didn't necessarily feel like, to me... One of those years where it was just loaded with star power, and yet you look up after three weeks and you, you see what Corral's done at Ole Miss. Frank's threw for four touchdowns last week. KJ Costello was great early. Obviously, it's fallen off since then. The emergence of Stetson Bennett, Mac Jones, and by the way, you nailed that one. I mean, he's completing eighty percent of his passes on the season. Yeah,
2: he's good. He's good, isn't he? I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, he's not. It's not just luck. He's good.
1: Kyle Trask has been great. I know LSU's yep. one and two, but if you look at his numbers, Miles Brennan's been good through, through the first three weeks of the season.
2: Yeah, he had is one this... bad half. Uh, he, he had one bad half against Mississippi State, but other than that, he's played terrific.
1: Yeah. And that was the first half of football that he had played as the starter for the defending yeah, national championship.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Against a pretty, you know, defense played pretty well that day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and has continued to play well. I, I, I guess yeah. the question is this group of quarterbacks in the SEC? And I, I mean, I left out Jarrett Garantano, I left out Kellen Mond. Left out Bo Nix. Is this the deepest group of quarterbacks we've had in the SEC in a while?
2: Maybe so, and it's really surprising. You know, I didn't know what to expect out of Felipe Franks, and you know this for me coming on the show. I thought John, John Rice Plumlee would be the starter for Ole Miss. I, I had no idea until you brought it up to me one day that, hey, Matt Corral's still in this battle. I assumed that I was I feel like fun. I learned a, earned a little street cred with you on that one. You did. I've, I've said it on my show several times. I mean, in the off in the off season when we would talk Ole Miss, I would bring it up. Man, I got Richard Cross over in over, over at Mississippi tells me that that battle's still alive. Uh, not only did I not know he would play, I had no clue he could play as well as he has. Um, so you, you know, I expected Trash to be good. I, you know, what I felt about Mac Jones, we talked about it on the show often. I, mm-hmm. I thought people were unfairly labeling him, um, but the, some of those have been a surprise. You know. Um, mind that looked really average against Vanderbilt. He played pretty well against Alabama. He was really good against Florida. Uh, you know, Costello, I, I didn't expect anywhere close to what we got week one, but I also didn't expect what we got week three, uh, you know, for him to be benched. So, I mean, there have been surprises on, on both sides of that, and and some quarterbacks like Costello surprised me both ways. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at the quarterback play we've gotten in the conference. Your Bo Nicks is concerning, though. I mean, he... He's making some of the same errors he made last year. It doesn't look like he's progressed a lot. And my concern with Bo Nix coming into this year were more parts around him than him uh, himself. But, you know, they, they found a running game with big Bigsby, and it really didn't help the passing game that much. So uh, I, I still have some concerns about Bo Nix.
1: We've got more coming up with Ryan Brown. He's going to hang with us through the break. We're going to continue to talk with him on the Farm Bureau phone line. Here's where we're going to start when we come back. We all know that all fan bases in the SEC have their unique characters. Auburn's fan base, at least on equal footing with everybody else, and that is an interesting lot of people. I'm going to ask Ryan when we come back if Auburn fans overall would have preferred to lose that game that they actually won on Saturday. We'll do that next. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham WJOX Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So, Ryan, I set you up. I let you think about how you wanted to answer this before the, uh, the break. <laughs> Auburn fans, this love-hate, hate-hate relationship with Gus Malzahn, a loss at home to Arkansas would have been a bullet in the chamber for the get-rid-of-Gus folks, and there are a bunch of them. Auburn fans as a whole glad for the close win or would have preferred to just lose that to kind of move that process along?
2: Well, I think, and I think honestly, it, it almost got labeled a loss. I think Auburn fans in a lot of ways feel like they'd lost that game. I mean, when you listen to them this week, it's the same concerns they've had all along with Gus Malzahn. Um. You know, you just you don't have any sort of offensive flow. You make critical errors. You just let a team that you should beat, you know, by a wider margin, hang around, hang around, hang around. You you get a very fortunate call at the end that even Auburn fans say, "Hey, look, you know, that we 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 got a break there. That should have been Arkansas's ball. I mean, nobody even argues that, really. If you're an Auburn fan, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it almost felt like a loss. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's so conflicting. That's so complicated. You know, there are probably times where an Auburn coach could have lost an Iron Bowl and it would have cost them their job. You're not going to pull to lose an Iron Bowl. I mean, that's easy to say. It's harder to do. Sure. I don't think Auburn fans were pulling for a loss or were happy that, you know, would have been happier with a loss. But I just think in a lot of ways that game almost got put in a loss column for Gus Malzahn because that game embodied everything Auburn fans complain about with Gus Malzahn.
1: In terms of issues that Auburn's dealing with, you you mentioned Bo Nix making some of the same mistakes that he made uh, at times a year ago. Is this thing as simple at Auburn as the offensive line is historically bad by Auburn standards, or is there something else to it?
2: Um, I think it's more than just the offensive line. Now, they went the first two games. You know, Sean Shiver started the first game at running back. And we've seen through two games now that that Tank Bigsby, or three games now, that Tank Bigsby is the best running back on the team. He played well. He was the only bright spot offensively against Georgia. He was the bright spot offensively again against Arkansas, not the only one, but the bright spot. Um, it's just, I don't know if it's play calling. It's just what, I mean, Richard, it's what his play, Gus Malzahn. It doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. It's like when they get to Auburn and they're the offensive coordinator, none of the stuff they've ever done, that sets them apart, shows up. It's just the same stuff that Auburn has been doing, maybe just called in a different order if, if called by them at all. So I think that's what's frustrating with Auburn fans. You hire Chad Morris. There's all this talk about how Chad Morris, he's been a head coach at SMU and at, at Auburn, or at Arkansas. He had success at Clemson. He's going to come in. He's going to do all these different things. Like, for instance, he's going to throw to the tight end. Auburn hasn't thrown to the tight end at all. I mean, it's like all the stuff he was supposed to do, he comes in and he doesn't do. And that's what's frustrating with Auburn fans. And here's the real big issue: Auburn has had a top fifteen, top twenty defense under Kevin Still the last couple of years, that have bailed them out of the really average offensive performances. And they don't have that defense right now. Some of that is because of injuries. Some of it's because Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown are in the NFL right now. They don't have that. They don't have that defense, and it, it's it's taking some hits. KJ Britt, the middle linebacker, is out long term because of a hand surgery. So. They don't have the defense to play that kind of offense right now, and that's what almost got them beat against Arkansas.
1: I feel like there have been multiple times in his tenure at Auburn where Gus has said definitively, I'm taking back over the play-calling duties. It's what I do best. It's where I feel most comfortable. And he's certainly done that in years where it felt like his job was legitimately in jeopardy. And it's like, I'm going to do this from here on out. And then he goes and hires an offensive coordinator again. Of the statue stature of somebody like Chad Morris, why does he keep doing this? Why does he keep changing his mind?
2: It really is puzzling. Uh, the Chad Morris hire, you know, was one of those that you know Kenny Dillingham had left. A lot of people think he was pushed out because Chad Morris was available, and this was played up as almost like, look, I know the other ones didn't work out, but this has to work out because we're so like minded. You know, we've right. followed the same path, we've run the same stuff. I know the rest of them didn't work, but this time it's going to work, guys. It really is. And, um, it's a great question. I mean, in a lot of ways, Gus Malzahn, you know, at times has been coaching for his job at Auburn, and it seems like you would, if you're going to do that, you would want to go down doing it your way. And I think that's what frustrates Auburn fans is. If you're just going to, you know, give a framework to these offensive coordinators, why don't you just call the plays? It's really why they hired him. You know, Gus Malzahn comes in, he has this amazing offense with Cam Newton. It was a little bit worse in 2011. It was really bad in 2012. Um, after 2011, they have this, you know, this divorce. It wasn't his offense in 2012. Auburn's offense got worse. But they have this, you know, kind of like a mutual parting of the ways in 2011. Auburn fans are kind of happy to see him go. The offense tanks, that gets fired. And you bring Gus Malzahn in all because of the 2010 offense. That's the reason he was hired. I think that's what's frustrating with Auburn fans is we hired you because we thought you were an offensive genius, and now the one place we struggle is offense. And that's the frustration that Auburn fans have with him.
1: Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham on your radio, visiting with us for a few more minutes this afternoon. You look at this matchup between Mississippi State and Texas A&M this weekend. You've got evidence of Texas A&M being bad, although winning against Vanderbilt. (laughs) being okay against Alabama and then being pretty darn good, especially in the second half against um, Florida this past weekend. With Mississippi State, you've got evidence of them being great against LSU and then not very good against Arkansas and Kentucky. How do you handicap this one? What do you make of this matchup in Starkville this weekend?
2: Well, my gut tells me that – Texas A&M probably celebrated that Florida win a little too much, and they lose this game. I mean, that's what my gut tells me. My eyes tell me Texas A&M is progressively getting worse, or excuse me, Mississippi State's progressively getting worse. They were phenomenal at LSU. I think now we've seen that probably had a lot as much to do with LSU's defense, which has not been good, as it did Mike Leach's offense. Um, I mean, look, they lost twenty-four to two to a team that had one hundred fifty yards of offense. Um uh, why why would I why would I think they could do any better than that against a much better team in Texas A and M? And I do think Texas A and M is much better than Kentucky. It's just that I don't trust them. I don't trust A and M. They they are completely untrustworthy under Jimbo Fisher and I, I'm not gonna flush that with one big home win over a team who also is struggling defensively, by the way. So my gut tells me A and M lays an egg here, but my eyes tell me Mississippi State Is not playing near well enough to take take advantage of that late egg. I know I didn't answer your question, but I'm telling you what my gut tells me, my eyes tell me. I'd probably be forced to do it. I'd probably pick state in this game.
1: Wow. Are we closer in terms of final score? Mississippi State, Texas A and M, to three to two, or forty (laughs) three to forty
2: two. I'm go. I'd go forty three to forty two. I three (laughs) two would be hard to see. I, I, I think we're closer to forty three, forty two, rather than the old school three two Auburn Mississippi State game from many years ago. Um, yeah, I expect more points. Yeah, I expect more points to be scored. A, you can move the ball in am's defense. Um, State's just got to quit turning it over, man. I mean, whether it's Costello or whoever's back there calling the signals, I mean, you can't throw six picks against anybody and win. I, not even an SEC team. I mean, anybody you play, you can't win that game. So. They just got to clean up the turnovers, and I, I think they'll be okay.
1: Hey, last thing for you: which game's more interesting this weekend? Ole Miss at Arkansas or Kentucky at Tennessee?
2: Um, whew, that's a tough question. Um, I probably like if I could only watch one of those two, would watch Ole Miss at Arkansas. I think that can be a very entertaining game. You know, you know this. Ole Miss is not going to get a lot of stops. Felipe Franks impressed me in his play against Auburn. Um, and I likewise, I think Ole Miss will have uh, ease moving the ball against Arkansas. I think that could be another track meet. I think I'd probably say if you told me I could only watch one, Kentucky can ugly up a game and so can Tennessee. So that could be a really ugly game. I think Arkansas-Ole Miss will be a little more free-flowing, so I'd watch that one.
1: This may be a silly question. Is this game more important for Kentucky or for Tennessee?
2: I mean, Stoops is going to be one and uh, three if he loses, but boy, Pruitt loses that one. And, uh, yeah, they never lose to Kentucky. Um, I would say it's more important for Pruitt and Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. That's a tough one, though. That is a tough question. Always appreciate your time. A lot of people – hey, no problem. I always enjoy it. Anytime.
1: You're the best, my man. Ryan Brown from uh, WJOX in Birmingham joining us for a couple of segments. On the Farm Bureau Fund Line, Fund always to talk SEC football with him. Hey, Dad, he said, got to make a pick? He's taking the Bulldogs against the Aggies this weekend.
0: It's interesting. He has, his lack of trust in Texas A&M is matched by my lack of trust in Mississippi State. So somebody's, somebody's got to be right. We'll see who it is. We'll see.
1: I think the slate sets up for some pretty entertaining games this weekend in the SEC. You've gotten two canceled, but um, the five you've got left, fun matchups. Ole Miss Arkansas, Bama Georgia, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. That South Carolina-Auburn game could be fascinating and pretty darn important for both teams. We'll be right back. Takes
4: the done, the She's
1: me. Me. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We covered a lot of ground with Ryan Brown just a few minutes ago on the Farm Bureau phone line. What's stood out As of uh, anything that we've not talked about that maybe jumped out at you?
0: about this past weekend or this coming weekend in the SEC? I always keep coming back to how people like us, people in Mississippi, were apparently the only ones who knew that Matt Corral was going to be the starting quarterback at Ole Miss. It really
1: Whoop, We lost you for a second. We lost you for a second. We're going to continue that. I think Haydad was going down the road of it's a little crazy because here in the state of Mississippi – Borky, we said it over and over and over. I can't tell you how many interviews I did in the offseason where people were like, well, quarterback
3: situation at Old Miss. When John Rice told me, I was like, hey, probably not. Probably not. And and nobody wanted to believe it. No, they yeah. didn't want to listen. That's the biggest part is they didn't want to listen. Yeah.
0: And it just goes back to they they just kept seeing, they kept thinking about Plumlee running wild on LSU, and they thought, well, oh, that's that's the guy. But you know, those of us here in the state, even state people like me, are like plumley Plumley's not going to start. It's going to be Corral. But so there's that. And I, I mean, his faith in, in Miss—I guess it's not even faith in Mississippi State. His lack of trust for Texas A and M that would lead him to pick uh, state to win this weekend. I found that surprising. I guess I'll say,
3: yeah, especially when—and uh, maybe he's not privy to it, but—and it's all just talk and stuff. But there, there seems to be some, um internal strife going on there right now as well. And maybe it's nothing, maybe they work it out, and it's all at good Texas at Mississippi State.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: I mean, you've got a coach that said things after post game, and of course, when you're losing, this always happens when you're losing. In fact, it happens when you're winning, too. But rumors circulate on social media land, you don't know what's true and what's not. But Mike Leach did pull his quarterback last week. And he did, after the game, talk about malcontents and a purge and specifically calling to question the effort of his best player. So those are things that are true. Whether or not it's actually hey, affecting hey, hey, them behind... that's gimmick
0: infringement. You stay off
3: that one. <laughs> uh, so whether or not th- that's bleeding over into practice this week and the game Saturday, uh, we will have to find out. We don't know for sure, but th- that is something that is there.
1: What was the headline from his... Time today on the SEC media call. Yeah, renewed sense of commitment. Com- commitment. Yeah. Do, do you get any inclination
0: of how this week has gone? I mean, the rumor mill has, has run overtime this week, and there's very little information coming from Mississippi State, obviously. You know, the players we talked to last night – you didn't get any inclination of anything like that. We'll talk to coaches again tonight, and we'll see where that takes us. Um, so we'll just have to see. I know that on tw- uh, on the 24-7 message board, Paul Jones said he doesn't expect uh, Kylan Hill to start on Saturday. I don't know if that means he's not going to play or what, but that's what he said.
1: So what does that mean? He goes from seven carries to four?
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's just – I don't know. I thought it was an interesting statement. I don't know any more than that, though. Um, I would think, though, if you want to beat Texas A&M, you need a Kylan Hill. You need Kylan Hill on the field, but you also need Kylan Hill to produce. So, if you don't feel like you're going to get the production from him, maybe you have to look another way. Hmm. And that—that's
3: the perfect guy to counteract with the rush three drop eight. You would think you would think yeah a back a shifty back that's good in space out of the backfield um can be a really good counterpunch to having eight guys back in coverage but if he's not engaged the if he's not engaged then it doesn't matter if you get him the football so will he be engaged this week if he does play that's i mean it's a huge deal there What concerns
1: you about Texas A&M's offense?
0: Isaiah Spiller, first and foremost. But State's been getting okay. into the run. But but Spiller is very good. Mond is a quarterback who can do things with his feet. He's a good athlete. And he, he's he's playing better as a passer than he has in years past. Uh, that was a great game against Florida. And he threw the ball pretty well against Alabama, who was just playing from behind the whole time. Um You know, I don't know they have a lot of playmakers in the passing game, especially with Chapman getting hurt. They've been sort of just sort of piecing that together. So, I mean, my biggest, my I guess my biggest fear though is is not A and M's offense. It's what it's State's offense. I I feel like this is going to be a third straight game that it's that State could have won, but they gave it away because they couldn't do anything offensively.
1: You mentioned Caleb Chapman, junior receiver, expected to be out, likely out for the season after an injury that he had, best performance at uh, Texas A&M for him against uh, the Florida Gators. Chapman on the year through three games had 14 catches for 197 yards, averaging 14 yards per catch, three touchdowns on the season, including a 51-yard touchdown catch. That uh, that was against Florida, right? That was the the big yeah. catch that kind of swung the game uh, yeah. against Florida, and that leaves you with just a bunch of guys. And I yeah. I don't mean that as a not because Jermon Osman Osmond uh, opted out for the season. Yeah. And now Chapman starting to emerge and kind of become a, a playmaker out for the year for a different reason. Didn't opt out. Got hurt and had his season come to an end. That leaves Jacob or Jalen Weidermeyer as their leading receiver, and that's the he big tight have end a touchdown. Yeah, he he doesn't have a touchdown though on the year. He's the guy that's what's supposed to replace Sternberger. Yeah, and he looks like he's a player too. He's big guy. Yeah, big. he does. He does. So what is it? Chase Lane and Anaya
3: Smith. Yeah. And this is the best by far, the best passing quarterback they've seen at least since Brennan. But, I mean, Mississippi State did not give up much on the ground against LSU, but Brennan did throw for 340. Yeah. And that was his first college start ever. So I wonder if maybe there is a susceptibility in the back end. But you just mentioned Texas A&M is without some of their horses. Uh, So maybe that's a, a neutralizer. But this is, in the last two weeks, or last three weeks, I should say, by far, a more talented quarterback than Felipe Franks. Talented. Franks is more stable, more consistent, but it's the ceiling's not near as high. And it, we shouldn't even really talk about Terry Wilson in terms of throwing the football. Right. C Spire text line. Time to burn the
1: barn and kill the rats. You guys have been Kylan Hill homers for two years.
3: We're better off without him. What is a Kylan Hill homer? Okay. But he, he led the SEC in rushing last year. I was, yes, I, I mean, it seems like
1: talking positively about the best player on Mississippi State's team would kind of be the way you go.
0: I said this to some friends of mine earlier, and this is even before the flag stuff. I don't remember a more Uh, It's been a while since they had a a star player That was as polarizing as Kylan Hill
1: Jason says What's bleeding over into practice Is players seeing Costello lay down With a yard to go for a first down While seeing a guy who'd pick it up Plus um, being on the bench Or wasting a different position
0: Well, You can keep saying that But if you are holding on to a Schrader At quarterback dream It's never going to happen Just, Just let it go it's never going to happen.
1: Someone said that you guys told us last year you would rather have Kylan Hill than Clyde edwards E I Going into that. the season, you would have last year.
0: Well, I, I stand by, by the my mind. What said I done. said was, if you switch, I said what I, what I said was, if you switched them, I think that Hill would have put up better numbers than edwards Lair did at LSU, and I don't think that edwards lair would have matched what Hill did at Mississippi State. I still believe that.
1: Carl in New Albany says, will Mississippi State hold Texas A&M under 350 yards total offense? I think they will. And it's funny because there was a time where that was a benchmark where you were like, north of 350 yards, that was a massive day. 350 in today's college football and today's SEC is just
3: kind of another day at the office. If Mon throws for 250 and Spiller and company – rushes for 100 total yards, would you think that Mississippi State won the game?
0: What's the turnovers?
3: That, I was, was going to yeah, say Yeah, there you go. i got to know the
0: answer to that question because the state might have given them 14 The points.
3: turnover margin is equal just for the sake of the statistic. State has a I good mean, chance. Borky, I mean, Borky, I feel game. like that
1: question is three plus blank equals blank. Yeah. Give me the answer.
3: Well, algebra with the... Little scales that you had to use—you remember with the pawns and the X and stuff—you could figure it out.
1: Yeah, I think you got to have one more number to make that little (laughs) equation work, though.
3: They really going to start Will Rogers? Is that really something on the table? It's possible. He was—he was Leech's guy, if I could speak correctly. So he wanted. Okay, you say it's possible at
1: this point. Who do you think starting Saturday? I think it's Costello,
0: but I think the leash might be short on him. Okay.
1: Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next. Well, here is some news for you. Like, big-time news. Statement from the University of Alabama. Early this afternoon, we received notification that Coach Nick Saban and Athletics Director Greg Byrne tested positive for COVID-19. Both immediately left the facility and went to their homes to self-isolate after receiving that information. Wow. Wow. Arguably the biggest game of the season this weekend for Alabama as they've got Georgia coming in. Quote from Nick Saban, I found out earlier this afternoon that I had tested positive for COVID-19. I immediately left work and isolated at home. At this time, I do not have any symptoms relative to COVID. Offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian to oversee game preparation. And I assume that that means he will be the acting head coach on the sideline on Saturday.
3: He's He would be the guy, right? He, he's been a head coach you you before, think? albeit it Absolutely. was a disaster. But. Yeah. Mm. So, what should the SEC do here? Because you've already got two games. Uh, you've got Ole Miss with a handful of them. Uh, it, Nick Saban and his athletic director all have it. Do you push on this weekend? Yes. Just move what you got to. One hundred
1: percent, you push on. Mm-hmm. You can't. 100%. It's one hundred percent. You do it's exactly you what have Major players Baseball out. did. At times, yeah. the road gets a little rocky along the way, but you just keep moving.
0: It's one thing when you have enough. Pl- you don't have enough players to go, but a, a head coach. I mean, you just got to move on. I mean, it, what would be the difference if the head coach? They wouldn't cancel a game because a head coach broke his leg and couldn't coach, or something like that. Well, they'll just get him a well i like Derek Dooley. Well, I'm just, well, you see what I'm getting at, though. If, if there was a situation where our coach was in the hospital with anything else and couldn't coach, they're not canceling a game because of that. Players is one thing. you got to have the players to play, but yeah, you tell Alabama, you know, Sarkeesian's running the show this week.
1: Borky, would you have asked that question if it was a coach not named Nick Saban? If Will Muschamp had tested positive, would you have asked the question, does the SEC put it on hold this weekend? Yes.
3: Okay. I, I don't think they should, but I wonder if it's something they're thinking about, or maybe just the games that have positives within the programs. You you move all of those, like South Carolina, Auburn. It doesn't appear that there's an outbreak between either one of them, so go ahead and play. But just out of an abundance of an abundance of caution, you give Ole Miss the week off to isolate. You know, get rid of it. And start back up the schedule next week. Because you have that built-in extra week. And you can move the SEC Championship back another one. Although that messes with the college football playoff. But you could do it. I just wonder if that's something they're looking at. It's maybe in Oxford, for example. Just, we'll move this game. I know we could play. But you've got some positive cases. So we'll take advantage of our flexibility. And you guys get your team back to where you don't have any positives. And we'll see you next week. That kind of situation.
1: Gave you the, uh, let's see, your Nick Saban's entire statement as released by uh, Alabama Athletics. I found out earlier this afternoon that I had tested positive for COVID-19. I immediately left work and isolated at home. At this time, I do not have any symptoms relative to COVID, and I have taken another PCR test to confirm my diagnosis. I informed our team of my positive test at 2 p.m. today on a Zoom call and let them know offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian will oversee preparations at the complex while I work from home. Greg Burns said, today I received notice that my COVID-19 test from this morning came back positive. Upon hearing the news, I immediately entered self-isolation and will remain at home and follow all guidelines. We've been diligent about mask wearing and social distancing from the start and want to continue to encourage you all to take the necessary precautions to help stop the spread of this virus for yourself and those around you. In the statement from, uh, I guess, the president of the University and Chancellor, In part, at this point in time, the positive tests are limited to those two individuals. All individuals who are considered high-risk contacts contacts have been notified and will follow quarantine guidelines. We will follow the SEC's return to activity and medical guidance task force protocol for testing asymptomatic positives. yet I think your question is, I think it's a reasonable one. But even thinking about it a little bit, I don't think that changes anything in my mind. I have championed baseball's resilience and just plugging on, and it feels like it would be hypocritical to change that stance. You keep plugging. You get everything in that you can. You make up what you miss as you're able to make it up. And you just keep trudging forward.
3: This is why you added flexibility in your schedule. Because this was coming. It is.
1: And there doesn't appear to be an issue for players. You remember a bunch of Alabama players got it early in the process. You know, I know there's some debate about antibodies and whether you can get it again and antigen testing and all of those things. So we'll see. Nick Saban and Greg Byrne testing positive for COVID-19. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, and Brian Haydad with you on this Wednesday afternoon. It has been kind of a news-heavy week. You want to be a part of the conversation? You can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That is the C Spire text line. Don't forget, you can get $100 off of the iPhone of your choice, the ones that are currently available anyway, at uh, cspire.com or at your local C Spire store. So, just uh, heads up on that—you don't have to wait for a deal like you do with the other guys. So, take advantage of it. Seaspire.com online at, uh, or sorry, online there or at your local Seaspire store. So, uh, breaking news—just a, a few minutes ago, Nick Saban and Greg Byrne test positive. I do have a question for you: If you were Alabama? Would you explore the possibility of taking a skybox and turning it into a secondary coach's booth and putting Nick Saban all by himself in that skybox on Saturday? Steve Sarkeesian is going to handle game prep. There's nothing in the release from Alabama that says whether or not Nick Saban will coach. Our assumption is he won't coach on Saturday. Sark's going to get the team ready. Guy with head coaching experience, most recently at the University of Southern California, also the head coach at the University of Washington. Certainly he is capable of coaching in a high-level game. But would you take Nick Saban and isolate him on game day, assuming he feels okay? Get him into a box all by himself and let him be there and coach... You know, whatever from the box on Saturday, Saturday night.
0: My first thought is no, because you know, is he going to come into contact with other people in route to the stadium? I mean, how's it going? To, how's he going to get? I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, couldn't
1: you put Nick Saban in a car by himself? Have him drive to the stadium, put one of those face shields over him in addition to a mask, have him go up in an elevator by himself, and then immediately disinfect the elevator after the fact? I mean, if you wanted to get
3: him there, you could. And this isn't why you make decisions, but the reaction to... Knowingly having somebody go into a place that will be occupied by other people, even if you disinfect afterwards and stuff like that for the sake of football, I don't know if that'll go over particularly well. and that's you know if you want to weather that, that's fine, but that that's that's a really tough look if you get him. Into a public place, somehow. What happens if he, have to go, if he has to go to the bathroom during the game? You know what I mean. I mean what happens if he needs something? Score boxes have bathrooms in them. And somehow, you are going to have him in that stadium. Two gallon jug. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, I, and I guess it could be done. But but at what point would? the negative outweigh the positive there because you will have to he will have to exist in a place where other people will exist shortly thereafter for the sake of coaching a football game this isn't Hugh Freeze's back issues you know you can't get a back issue from somebody else
1: let well, I me mean, are you worried what Dan Walker's going to write That no. Christine Brennan is going to pin an op-ed that talks about the irresponsibility of the decision Cares what they think.
0: I'm not. It's not about them yeah, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the optics. I'm worried about getting. You know, or is he going to get anybody else sick? That's all I care about. I could care less what Vulcan or anybody writes about it. But that's why I'm saying
3: the the same thing. I mean, forget those two; they don't matter. But I mean, from from my perspective, I mean, I'm just certainly not. If you not, choose
1: to go to that ball game? You think you might interact with somebody that's COVID positive? Whether you know it or not? Possibly, but the
3: fact Possibly. is they know Saban has it. They know it. It is a guarantee that he's got it. Unless it was a false negative or a false well, positive. They, they will learn that very, very quickly. Uh, they, they probably will know here in just a few minutes. All right, so here you go. Other people have
1: been where sick people are. Doctor's office, stores, and a million other places. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff says a couple of weeks ago I was around someone with corona for 8 hours and I tested negative 3 times in a row. That
3: doesn't mean you No, it's just a dissenting viewpoint. It's fine. Uh, but it's not exactly a viewpoint because that's using one data point as a reason to treat everybody that is covid positive. Oh, it's not a big deal cuz you know, I was around somebody, I didn't get it, so therefore it should be cool that Nick Saban with it is or you know, In a football stadium where other people are I I mean, knowingly Having it and going somewhere Is different than I might get it If I go somewhere
1: Mike says, when's the last time Saban drove himself anywhere? I don't know, I think he likes his Mercedes Gets in there and jams to some
0: classic rock Got that big van, yeah
1: Uh, Rick and Enid says, I'd put Nick in one of those Big bubbles and let him bounce up and down The sidelines, problem solved (laughs) <laughs> like a sumo bubble, an isolation bubble. Wanda says, no, that's not safe for others or policy. Why? Because of who he is? No, I mean, Nick Saban's just the coach in the SEC that's got it. This is not going to happen, I don't think. I just was throwing it out there as something to think about. I mean, Mike Norvell tested positive, had to miss a game for Florida State. Les Miles tested positive, had to miss a game for Kansas. Um, note that says if the safety measures that they suggest work then they nobody should have any problem with it David says it makes perfect sense to put Nick Saban in a box politically though it won't happen that's David and Corinth we get a suggestion that he should uh, wear an astronaut suit Scott and Clinton says that uh, the optics would be bad Here's one that says, if Hugh Freeze can do it, then Saban can. King Biscuit says, false positives. It was actually Kiffin.
3: wonder if it was Nick Saban that gave it to Ole Miss players. Post-game handshakes, man. Somebody said, please do that, and we can only
1: hope that the camera pans up to him and he gives us all a thumbs up. Hat tip, Hugh Freeze.
0: It's been done. William and Greenville
1: suggest a hazmat suit. Preston and Fulton says, uh, "Don't see why they couldn't stick him in a box up all by himself to coach." Yeah, a lot of reactions to that. Yeah,
3: it's not happening. No, it, it's not about a, a Wulkin column. I mean, who cares what that? It's more. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it is just a football game. And whether or not you agree or disagree with people's viewpoint of this virus, it is one that has spread. We've seen it. I mean, it spread throughout the Florida program a lot. I mean, even if not, not a single player shows a symptom, they got over 20 that have it now. It is a thing that is real. It can be spread. The likelihood of him getting sick by it is very, very small, which is a very good thing. But... You cannot do that. You cannot knowingly have somebody with COVID go into a public place, even if it's just for a second, and they keep him away from everybody while he's on his way up for the sake of a football game. You can't do that. Well, no, I didn't mean like bring him in as the fans were coming into the stadium. My thought
1: was that you could have him in, you know, have him arrive – before the stadium
3: and, opens to the general public, and he would hours earlier. But the point is, the virus doesn't just hang on to the person that's infected. It can. I mean, that's why there it's are. Why he walks him in a hazmat suit. I mean, if they're wanting to do that, fine. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. Yeah.
1: And look, he might not feel up to it anyway. As of now, he says he's got no symptoms. By the way, that was your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to BuyFordNow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But do yourself a favor. If you have not tested positive for COVID-19, go get behind the wheel of an F-150. Test drive it today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. little uh, interaction there. Matt Hayes and uh, Brandon Marcello on Twitter. Matt Hayes says the Power 5 conferences have to test every day. It's the only way to stop outbreaks before <laughs> they happen. Brandon Marcello said, I know Alabama is testing every day.
3: Well, that and the NFL test every day, and it still happened for the Titans, so that's that doesn't
1: make
0: this sense. An out, this isn't an outbreak for Alabama either. It's just two people.
1: Andrew Hutchison from Hogbeat.com will join us next. We'll talk some Arkansas Razorbacks. The text line is open to you at 601 879 4395. There was one suggestion that they could just put at, uh, Nick Saban in the Big owl elephant suit and allow him to coach while wearing that particular uh, mascot get up. But we digress. Farm Bureau phone line. Tall enough. Yes. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Hogbeat.com, that is where Andrew Hutchison writes and covers the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he joins us right now to uh, talk a little bit about this Arkansas team who, Andrew, I, I think is maybe more fun than some people anticipated it was going to be. Is that a fair summation?
5: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely fair. I mean, I think Arkansas fans at least had the, the hope that they would be more competitive this year. Uh, but I think through three weeks, they've far exceeded even, even the most optimistic fans' expectations because they were uh, competitive for two and a half quarters against the top five Georgia team. They knocked off Mississippi State on the road and uh, really should have beaten Old Mid- or Auburn on the road as well. So uh, really exceeded anyone's even most optimistic expectations
1: are arkansas fans anywhere close to letting go of the frustration of feeling as if they got the short end of the stick in terms of the referees on uh, on saturday on the plains well
5: if uh if our message board is any indication no <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they, fair. Uh, are still, they are still they're still very upset and they uh i mean there's people that I mean, at one point we had uh, people saying, "Hey, let's all call the SEC and complain." There was one person asking if we could file a lawsuit. I mean, it was uh, very heated uh, for the last several days. I think it's starting to kind of simmer down a little bit as people kind of shift their focus to, to Ole Miss. Uh, but it, it's still still a touchy subject, and everyone does think they got hosed, and I tend to agree with them. Uh, seems like all of college football agrees with that statement, but. Yep. Uh, I think the team itself has, has shifted its focus to Ole Miss because that's what Sam Pittman has really kind of emphasized this week in uh, his conversations with the media.
1: Outside of the obvious, Andrew, new coaching staff, uh, including new head coach, and Felipe Franks at quarterback, what's different about this Arkansas team than last year's version? I
5: mean, I know you said excluding the new coaching staff, but I really think that's that's everything that, that – you can credit it to because it is mostly the same team personnel-wise. Yeah, you add Felipe Franks. Uh, they've added a few other graduate transfers that have you know contributed, like in the secondary and, uh, and stuff like that. But really, it's just the new coaching staff. You feel like there's a level of competency that you didn't see the last several years with Chad Morris and you know, John Chavis, the defensive coordinator, uh, Joe Craddock, the offensive coordinator, is now the tight ends coach at UAB, if that tells you anything about the, the previous staff. So
4: hmm.
5: uh, I think Barry Odom coming in as the defensive coordinator was probably one of the best hires in the SEC, maybe in the country, because last year's defense at Arkansas was was literally statistically the worst in school history in terms of points allowed, yards allowed. And to see what they've done – Uh, in three weeks has been nothing short of phenomenal.
1: Andrew, like everybody, we had fun with the whole yes-sir thing uh, with Sam Pittman when he was hired. The the jokes kind of wrote themselves. But we also recognized right out of the gate that, wow, he put together a good staff. Um, It feels like Dave Odom was the most important hire. How close... uh, I'm sorry, Barry Odom, not Dave Odom. I think I've done that more than once. Dave Odom, a former basketball coach. Barry Odom, obviously, the former uh, coach at Missouri. Um, how closely behind that, though, in importance is Kendall Briles?
5: Yeah, I mean, he's been very important. And it, they've gotten off to a little bit of a slow start offensively. Uh, obviously, Georgia, first week, probably had something to do with that because I think most people would agree they have one of the best defenses in the SEC and in the country. Uh, but they, they've started to kind of heat up, and, and Kendall Bryles, he, he does things that I think fit Arkansas's personnel uh, as long as they're healthy. I mean, obviously uh, Arkansas is dealing with several, uh, a lot of injuries really, uh, including their two best offensive players and running back Raheem Boyd and wide receiver Traylon Burks, but if, if those guys are healthy, I think Arkansas has the pieces Uh, with Felipe Franks running the show to do what Kendall Bryles wants to do. And he's a guy that's proven to have success everywhere he's been. Uh, he maybe didn't have as much success at Florida State, but even there, he improved a, an abysmal offense into a mediocre offense. And I think that he, he's been kind of tasked with that same, uh, task here at Arkansas because really the offense was just not good the last several, the last couple of years, despite, you know, that being Chad Morris's Forte, uh, he's he's come in and, and tried to kind of slowly get things better, and I think that there was from about the second quarter on against Auburn, they were uh, they couldn't be stopped. So I think that was a really positive sign of, of progression uh, on that side of the ball for Arkansas.
1: Andrew Hutchison covers Arkansas at hogbeat.com on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Looking at the matchup this week against Ole Miss, obviously the Rebels have had a lot of success offensively. They have had next to no success defensively. What stands out to you in this matchup? What's important from an Arkansas perspective? What's the biggest challenge in your mind for Arkansas?
5: Well, I think figuring out how to slow down that Ole Miss offense is going to be really, really tough. I know some Arkansas fans are like, Well, look at what you know Barry Odom did against uh Mississippi State's offense after they, you know, dominated L S U, but I think now that we've seen a little bit more, saw what Mississippi State did at Kentucky, really struggled, uh, I think that, that maybe not there wasn't as much of a sample size as what we've seen with Ole Miss. Ole Miss has done this to everybody, including Alabama last week. I think that was really eye opening for me. Uh, just so like I'm like, wow, you know, Lane Kiffin's got this thing rolling uh, offensively, and, and Arkansas they need to get healthy on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they they were down both starting cornerbacks uh, last week uh, for most of the game. They they started a, a redshirt freshman walk on at one corner and a two star recruit, true freshman at the other corner. When uh, the other guy got hurt during the game. Really need those starters back. You really need both starting linebackers healthy. I'm not sure if Bumper Pool is is going to be ready to go this week, but uh, you need him healthy. It's it's going to be a challenge. I, I'm I'm really anxious to see what kind of game plan Barry Odom puts together, uh, or if it's going to be more on the offense. You know, controlling the ball. Uh, and, and running really, you know, they haven't really gotten the run game going yet, but if you could run the ball and just keep the ball out of Ole misses hands, that, that might be your best defense this weekend.
1: In, in terms of those guys you mentioned on the defensive side that Arkansas is hoping to have available, do you get much of an injury p- report from, uh, from Sam Pittman, or is this, uh, no, we're not talking about injuries staff? He
5: uh, keeps everything very close to the vest. Uh, He basically says we hope to get them back, but that's about it. I think last week before the Auburn game, he said we hope to get two of the three back, referring to uh, Boyd, the running back, Burks, the receiver, and Brown, the corner, and uh, none of the three ended up playing. So uh, I I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I feel more confident about the offensive guys being ready to play this weekend than the defensive guys, but to be quite honest, we won't know until they start warming up before the game on Saturday.
1: Certainly going to be interesting to see. Last thing for you, uh, Andrew, I, I know you live kind of in, in message board land because uh, of, you know the, the outlet for which you work. What, what's the temperature of Arkansas fans, even if a message board is only the, the sample size uh, in terms of their expectations for this game this week? I
5: think a lot of fans are expecting a win. Uh, you know, just, they they look at it you know from the optimistic standpoint and they they are they are really they've seen enough the first three weeks to think Arkansas can hang with anybody. I, I, I mean I think if Arkansas was playing Alabama this weekend there would be a, a section of the fan base that hey we can maybe hang with these guys. <laughs> I don't know if Arkansas is quite to that level yet, but I think most people see Ole Miss and they say hey these guys are somewhat closer to like kind of where we are right now is. You know, recruiting has been somewhat similar, and uh, recent success has been somewhat similar, I mean or at least closer than, than in Alabama or someone like that. So this is a game I think Arkansas fans have had circled even before the season as, as a game Arkansas could possibly win. and, and I think the, they're seeing what they have the first three weeks, as I said, I think they're they're feeling really good about it and and really think they can go into the, the open week at, with a two and two
1: record. All right, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, an entertaining game coming up on Saturday. Andrew, really appreciate your time this afternoon.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Absolutely. That's Andrew Hutchison, covers Arkansas at hogbeat.com, part of the Rivals Network. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Arkansas competitive with Georgia for a half and change. They get the win against Mississippi State and more than competitive. Just came up short. Against Auburn on the Road, Heartbreak, Courtesy of the Guys in the Striped Shirts. i miss in Arkansas 230 Saturday afternoon SEC Network. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. You're an Atlanta Braves fan. Earmuffs, you don't want to hear this. I promise. Top of the first inning. Top of the first. The Los Angeles Dodgers lead the Atlanta Braves 11 to nothing. Not great. Not great.
3: Still a two-possession game. Touchdown, extra point, and a field goal gets you right back in it.
1: Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You you are correct about that, Borky. They got some work to do, though. Kyle Wright was the starter. He lasted two-thirds of an inning. And the uh, bullpen has not been much better. 11-zip, top of the first... Dodgers down two games to none. This was um, pretty important game for the Dodgers. They didn't want to go down three nothing, which is Not where the Houston Astros are in their series with the um, Tampa Bay Rays. Finally, it's come to an end. Grant Dayton gets a strikeout of Will Smith to end the inning. And the uh, top of the first mercifully comes to an end. We'll see if the Braves can answer. Gracious. They're down 7 to nothing, and then Max Muncy hit a grand slam. That got out of hand in a hurry. Good news is Braves up two games to none in the series. Let's we'll see. In that first inning, Mookie Betts had a single and scored two runs. Corey Seager went 2-for-2 with two runs scored and drove in two.
0: You know it's a big inning when a guy scores two runs in one inning.
1: Justin Turner was 0-for-1 but scored a run. He walked. Muncie was 1-for-2 in the inning with four driven in. (laughs) Will Smith, 1-for-2 with a strikeout that ended it. Jock Peterson drove in three runs.
0: He had a two-run homer. Wait, you mean a three-run homer? What would you say is, is he, he drove in three percent? in the inning. <laughs> but what was the for the in the inning though? Who Peterson, one for
1: one with a run scored oh, and three runs batted in.
0: Must have been a three-run home run then. Okay.
1: Yeah. Hey, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. Chris Del Conte is the athletics director at the University of Texas. Remember during the uh, the summer when there was all kinds of drama going on all over the country. You had protests and social unrest and all those things, and you had um, teams that were standing up, demanding changes. And at the University of Texas, you had the football players demand the removal of the eyes of Texas. Well, that idea was shot down by the president of the university. He said the Eyes of Texas will remain the school's song. But they're going to do some work to contextualize it and reclaim it and educate people about the history. Apparently, Texas's players have not handled that all that well. This was Chris Del Conti. Many of your questions have been about our student athletes and the confusion about why they have not remained on the field for the eyes of Texas after the games. I, like so many of you, view the song with pride and sing loudly and proudly in honor of the efforts of those who represent and support this phenomenal institution. As much as our student-athletes love this university, they have questions about the history of the eyes and concern about it. As you are aware, this past summer, during the height of civil unrest in our country, some of them brought to our attention their concerns over a number of issues on campus, including the origin of the song. President Hartzell was absolutely clear that the Eyes is and will remain our school song, but in an effort to further understand its origins, full history, and how it's evolved over time, he established a committee to study, contextualize, and reclaim the song's origin. We believe it is important to understand the history as we continue to perform it. With that said, I do want to clarify that I've had many conversations with our head coaches outlining my expectations that our teams show appreciation for our university fans, and supporters by standing together as a unified group for the eyes while we work through this issue. However, like all families who see the world through different lenses, we have plenty of work to do on this subject and will continue to do so. But rest assured, our student-athletes love and respect this university very much and are competing their hearts out for it. That's a statement that sounds like they have an issue at the University of Texas that might not be going away. Yeah, and it's Tom Herman. you think Tom Herman is encouraging his players
3: not to stay out there for it? No, I just think he's not winning enough games and they might need to fire him at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, you're probably talking about something different.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Happened at State against against, uh, Arkansas. Yeah, State... It's a much newer tradition, but you know, under Mullen, they always stayed till the end, played the uh, fight song on the alma mater, and uh, lasted under Moorhead. And then uh, against Arkansas, only like maybe ten guys stayed. And they all went in the locker room after. Is that related to some? I don't believe so. I think that was just more. They were embarrassed. They had lost. When they oh, get the hell off the field. <laughs> okay. I don't Fair think enough. There was any political statement being made by? if you can find you know i don't know i don't know the words to maroon and white off the top of my head but if you know i don't think there's anything happening there
1: Nick Saban's daughter Kristen tweets no symptoms he's literally coaching practice from a Zoom call and then she puts in parentheses i had permission to say this So there's your uh, Nick Saban self isolation
3: Funny you asked a question earlier, because here's Pete Thamel with a quote from Greg Sankey. We're still moving forward. We have testing Thursday and results Friday. I describe that as a, quote, hold your breath moment. We'll continue forward. You've already had one game postponed. You had a team play with 56 guys because they had a COVID outbreak. You had a team earlier today have apparently multiple positives, but now it's a hold your breath moment.
0: Well, those other teams weren't Alabama.
3: Yeah. Now, when you trotted Vanderbilt out there with uh, a couple dozen guys either positive, testing positive or in quarantine because of contact tracing, not then was it a hold-your-breath moment. Not after Ole Miss has some positives. Not after Florida and LSU get moved. Oh, no. It's after Alabama's round of testing. Hmm. Well, maybe it's just
1: that this is the most recent news when Greg Saban uh Sankey was being interviewed.
0: 40-in slip right there. Yes,
1: it was. <laughs> Sorry.
3: I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy. It, it, but you're right. This will be treated differently because of who it is and not because of what it is. As you mentioned uh, during a break, Mike Norvell coached for Florida State or didn't coach in a game because he had COVID. Didn't rock the college football world. I know Florida State stinks, and Norvell hasn't won anything of consequence like Nick Saban, but a major college football program had a coach that tested positive. His team played. He did not coach that day. All good. This one's going to be treated differently because of who it is. And that's life. People who are better at things get special treatment. Welcome to life. But it's worth pointing out. You know, you had
1: roster thresholds of players to be able to play games. I don't think there's any public policy that has been put out by the SEC with regard to thresholds for available coaches to be able to play games. Matt Hayes points out on Twitter, he says, The health of Saban and Burn are the top of the news. I would not assume Alabama-Georgia play on Saturday. There are incubation periods. Let's see what happens with testing over the next couple of days. And I guess that's what Nick Saban, or excuse me, Greg Sankey, Freudian again, um, would be alluding to. And again, that quote that Borky read from Pete Thamel, We're still moving forward. We have testing Thursday and results on Friday. I describe that as the hold-your-breath moments we will continue forward. And look, I mean, if, if you're concerned about incubation periods, then you're not just holding your breath about, well, Nick Saban and Greg Byrne tested positive. Is there going to be an outbreak among Alabama players or their coaching staff? You're also saying, okay, well, Florida had a bunch of guys test positive and then they had more guys test positive. Ole Miss reportedly, according to Lane Kiffin today on the SEC Coaches Teleconference, has some issues as it pertains to covid my understanding is it is pretty small number at this point but if you give it two more days and you test again i
3: do think people will be holding their breath to see what those results reveal on friday if you were worried about an incubation period why did you send south carolina to vanderbilt this past weekend then You're, you're not man they you're did. not worried about an incubation. I know I
1: understand that, but you're not worried about an incubation period. You've got to keep on living. You've got to keep on living. And Jason, I know, is mad at me. He thinks my stance is ridiculous and short-sighted and everything else. I understand that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not for shutting the world down because we have some positive cases. Just not. Thanks. Not changing. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.